0: Wow! Hey, welcome to new life, everybody. Welcome to new life. All right, hey, my name is Jeff Baker. If you're new here, I am just one of the pastors on staff. If you guys will go ahead and find a place to seat, that'll be uh, sit down. That'll be great. I want to say a big hello to everyone worshiping with us out in North Platte. Glad to have you guys with us as well as our uh, body of new life that's worshiping with us down in the venue. Uh, you're sitting in uh, one of three auditoriums, and just to remind you and everyone that's here today, you're also sitting in one of six Uh, worship services that we have going on this morning. God is alive. God is well. Jesus Christ isn't dead on a cross someplace. He's not buried in a grave someplace either. We believe at New Life that Jesus is alive and that he is well. And that he is coming back again for a church one day. And our whole mission is to try to point the hearts of people to Jesus so that they would have a life transformed by him and have a relationship with him. Amen? So if you're here today and your life's been transformed by Jesus, let me hear you cheer right now. Come on. Yeah. Everywhere. Everywhere. And New Life is a place that is safe. It's it's a safe place to explore God. It's a safe place to pursue God. And if you're here today and you're checking us out as a church or you're exploring God and you're wondering how New Life might be able to help you, you need to know you've come to the right place. We're here to help you dive into a relationship with Jesus and help you know Him in a way that's really going to change your life in a big way. And to do that, we teach in what we call a teaching series. So we take a topic and then we go on it for a while. Right now we're in a concept that's called live dead. Live dead. That is just like two words that don't seem like they go together. But the Bible tells us very clearly that we are to be living a life that is no longer ours, that we've been bought with a price and the price was paid for by Jesus on the cross. And it's no longer that I who live, but it's Christ Who lives in me. And so our whole journey as a Christian is to figure out how Jesus can come more alive in us and how we and our desires and pursuits on this earth, they can die so that Christ can live in us. That's our whole journey right now. We've taken the title Live Dead from a missionary theme. We have missionaries that are around the world that are living their lives just like that verse says, no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And today we've got a special guest, one of our assemblies of God missionaries that's out in the middle of nowhere in India um, who is doing some incredible work. He is a live dead missionary as, as well. That means there's 12 core values that him and his family and his team have decided to live by and devote themselves to. And we're trying to take those core values and bring them here to Nebraska so that we can live as missionaries where God placed us right here in nebraska and so i want you guys to please welcome with me our missionary joe gordon all the way from india would you guys put your hands together and welcome him come on right on all right well joe it's all yours buddy it's all yours so man have have fun and uh we trust god's gonna speak to you. you thank you
1: good morning It is uh, such an honor to be with you guys today. I did, I just flew in from India last week. My family is still there, just here for a few weeks of meetings. But I am especially excited that this church, your church, is focusing on the heartbeat of God. And I believe the heartbeat of God is making sure that people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation have an opportunity to know the grace that has changed our lives. We have been changed by the grace of God. We have received hope and life through Jesus Christ. And yet there are literally billions of people in our world today who have yet to hear the name of Jesus Christ. The core values of live dead kind of, kind of is a lens through which we live our lives. And the core value we're going to be talking about today is apostolic function. Now that sounds like a big scary word. What is apostolic function? Apostolic function is simply this. It is the understanding that we have that the purpose of God for every one of us as individuals and as a church is to make sure that all people have access to the grace of God. That's what apostolic function is all about. Apostolic function is a determination that just like the apostles felt like it was their responsibility to take the gospel to all people, we believe that that same function is alive today in the church, that God has called each one of us to carry forward that, to preach the gospel to those who've never heard. Now, most of you have been around enough To have heard things like the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We know these things. We know that God said, take them and baptize them and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Most of us know the words of God. And yet 2,000 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, 2,000 years after Jesus said, go into all the world, 2,000 years after Jesus said, you're going to receive my spirit and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 2,000 years later, over one third of all the people groups on the face of the earth today have yet to be fully engaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Out of 16,500 recognized people groups, these are groups that are distinguished by their language, their culture, their ethnicity, their geography. Out of 16,500, 6,553 people groups on the planet today have yet to fully be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In India alone, a nation where there are over 2,500 people groups, over 2,000 of them, I looked it up again today, 2,056, the overwhelming majority of all of the language groups and people groups in India have yet to be fully engaged with the gospel. How is that possible? How is it possible that a people with a command over their life to preach the gospel to all people, how is it possible that we have yet to fulfill the task of Christ? I believe there's only one reason, and that is passion. Everybody say passion. I couldn't hear passion from the other two campuses. Maybe we need to say it again. Passion. Oh, I heard it all the way from, what is that, North Platte? I heard it from North Platte. Passion, a passion to do the work of God, a passion to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what drove the early church. It was an understanding that apostolic function is who we are, is what we have to do. If you look at Romans chapter 15, the apostle Paul lays out his understanding of apostolic function. He said, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. By what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from the Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So it has always been my ambition, say with me, ambition. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Now listen to this. He just, almost just like he wrote a poem out of this. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. So Paul is writing to this church and says, you know, I don't even have time to come and have fellowship with you. I don't even have time to come and hang out with you because there are still people that have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've got this desire, this ambition, there's something that rises up in my soul every day that pushes me, that drives me to make sure everyone has a chance to know the grace of God. You see, we're not driven today by guilt. I'm not driven to preach the gospel by guilt. I'm not driven to preach the gospel out of fear of, uh, of God judging me. I am driven to preach the gospel out of gratitude. When I was 20 years old, I was an alcoholic. And Jesus found me, and he changed my life. He gave me hope. And from that day, my purpose in life was to make sure that everyone had a chance to know the grace of God that had changed my life. It is that everyone would know there's hope, there's life, there's joy. There should be a gratitude that wells up within our spirits. I always tell people, don't ever feel sorry for a missionary unless they're a sorry missionary. And a sorry missionary is somebody that wants you to feel sorry for them for having to follow Jesus. Oh, God made us leave and go to this place. I don't even understand the mentality of people when they begin their prayers with the words, please don't. God, please don't send me to Africa. God, please don't make me go to India. God, please don't call me to Afghanistan. Please don't make me preach. God, please don't make me serve. I don't even understand that mentality. The day I got saved, I felt like a skinny little white kid standing at the basketball court and nobody wanted to pick me and I just had my hand raised saying, Pick me, let me play. And I am convinced today that the only reason I am in India today because all of the smart, talented people were praying, please don't, and I was in the background saying, pick me. (laughs) There should be something welling up within us that the God Who changed our lives? The greatest honor we could ever had would to be in his service to let people know the joy and the hope in the gospel of Jesus that is available to all people. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. He said, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond. That should be, that should be the heartbeat, the region beyond. Those who have yet to hear, those who have yet to be engaged, a passion to go and preach the gospel. Every one of us are called to preach the gospel where we are. Every one of us in everything we do. I wanted to reach people in the town I live in in India. So I started a gym so I could invite friends to come who wouldn't come to church. They were too afraid. They were Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and they wouldn't come to church. So I started a gym and invited them to the gym. And now I have every day over 90 people come to the gym with me and we work out together. Now some of them started coming and we have a Bible study on Sunday night. 15 of them come and we study the Bible together now. It's just living life, just sharing life with people around you. Every one of us have the responsibility to share the gospel where we are. But even if you are sharing the gospel where you are, there is still a weight that is on us. There is still a burden, a responsibility on us for those who don't have a neighbor who knows Jesus, for those who live in a community where there is no church, for people living in areas where they've never heard a Christian radio program, for people who have never been engaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of us has a responsibility for where we are, but we also have... responsibility for the regions beyond us. There has to be a passion Not long ago, I was in my truck. I live up in the hills of India. And I drove for eight hours through the mountains. I got out of my truck and I walked for seven days. And I went to dozens of villages preaching the gospel. Got back in my truck and rode back by a different route. And after two days of driving, after seven days of walking, I did not cross one church. I did not cross one village where there was a believer. I met one person in nine days of travel that had even heard the name of Jesus there has to be a passion that burns within our spirit this is the same passion that burned in the heart of our savior he talked about the shepherd going out and reaching the lost sheep a passion to reach Jesus described his passion in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That is the passion of our Lord. To seek out, to reach out, to go, to touch. That is the passion of our Lord. If you look at Revelation in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, it describes the, the throne of God. It describes what heaven is like. And it says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation.'" Around the throne of God. It it wasn't just made for Americans. It wasn't just made for those who speak English. It's not just there for us. Around the throne of God. Jesus Christ gave his life for all people. You look at Revelation chapter 7, he follows along in this thought. He said, after this, I looked now. Now before, he's talking about why Jesus died, and now he's talking about the end result. He said, after this, I looked around. This is John speaking of a vision of heaven. And there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were palm branches were in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the passion of God. Every tribe, every people, every nation, every language. And yet today, in our world today, we know this day. The facts are there. Over one-third of all the people on planet Earth, there are tribes, there are peoples, there are languages, there are nations that are not today represented before the throne of God. Why is this? You know, when Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few, he only had 12 guys. (laughs) Let me tell you, The labors are not few anymore. We have churches around the world today. Over a billion people call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have plenty of labors today. Can somebody say amen? We have enough laborers. There's no reason that anyone in Kearney, Nebraska does not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they are not hearing the gospel in Kearney, Nebraska, it's not because there's not enough laborers. Amen. There's a billion of us across the world. So out of 7 billion people in the world, 1 billion of them claim to know Jesus Christ. So that means if every individual who claimed to know Jesus would just tell 6 people about Jesus, everybody could hear the gospel. We could do that this year. We have enough labors. Finances. When Jesus was talking to those 12 guys... They didn't have a lot of money they were poor fishermen who left everything to follow him and now we are middle-class people who bring everything and follow him we've got plenty of money there's enough resources in the church today that it is not a resource problem that is the reason the world has not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ we have technology we have the technology at our fingertip today to broadcast the gospel to every area. We have the technology of, of being able to get into vehicles, to go to areas we couldn't go to before, to fly in. We we have all that we need to preach the gospel to all people, to all tribes, to all tongues. We have everything we need to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ except for one thing, and that is a passion to do it. Accept that passion to do it. I told you I was 20 years old. I was, I was an alcoholic. I came from a broken home. My mother left me when I was a teenager. She just walked out. My dad left a few months after my mom left. I was in pain. I was hurting. I turned to violence. I turned to drugs, turned to alcohol. By the time I was 20 years old, my life was out of control. And in the darkest moment of my life, Jesus came to me. And I will never forget that moment calling on the name of the Lord and feeling liberty and release for the very first time. And so I went back to my pastor and I just said, Man, what can I do for Jesus? I want to do something. Let me do something for Jesus. He said, Well, you just need to sit down and listen for a while. Just need to sit. Three months later, I came back to him and I said, Pastor, I can't sit anymore. I've got to do something. I love you, but if I listen to one more sermon, I'm going to backslide. I can't do it anymore. I got to do something. Give me something to do. And so my pastor told me, he said, I tell you what, go home and read your Bible. And whatever you feel like Jesus telling you to do, you go do it. And I looked at him and I said, you could have told me that three months ago. And so I went home and I opened up my Bible. And it happened to be the story of this rich man who comes to Jesus. And the rich man says to Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. He said, oh, I've already followed all the commandments. And Jesus looked at him with compassion. And he said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And you know what saved me that day? What saved me was there were no mature Christians around me that day. That's what saved me. Because any mature Christian, worth their salt, could have properly explained the verse away, so I would have had to do very little. But my pastor told me, whatever the Bible says do, do it. So I did it. It took me a month, but I went out and I gave my truck away. I gave my boat away. I gave my house away. I sold all my guns, all my rod and reels. I'm from Georgia. I was living in a redneck paradise when I got saved. I got rid of Everything I had, I ended up with two pair of pants and two shirts, a pair of cowboy boots, a sleeping bag, and a flashlight, and I set out on my journey to follow the Lord. That was almost 30 years ago. Just wanted to, I just wanted to make sure everybody had that chance. And I ended up in this church, and this pastor told me you should go to Bible school. And I said, what's Bible school? He said, Bible school is where you go to learn about the Bible. And I said, well, I want to learn about the Bible. So he sent me to Bible school. And I'm in Bible school, and I had this professor who was a retired missionary to India. And one day she's in class, and she's describing India. And after class, I came up to her, and I said, so so you're telling me that there's a billion people that most of them have never heard the gospel? And she said, that's right. And I said, you're telling me that there's, there's groups of peoples and languages that have never been engaged? And I said, that's just not right. And she said, you're right. And I said, well, how about me? Can I go? You know, some people always want to know, how did you know God called you to India? And I got to be honest, I'm not sure He did. I just volunteered. <laughs> I just felt like somebody needed to do it, and it might as well be me. And so I said, Can, can you help me get to India? And she said, All right. And so they helped me me a ticket, and that's how I ended up in India. And I've been there since that was in 1991 that I first went to India, and I've just been kind of been there since. They can't get rid of me. <laughs> it was a passion. I just wanted to make sure that the God who gave his life for me, he didn't just give his life for me, he gave his life for them. He died for them. You know, whenever we take communion, we, we take communion and, and we have corrupted communion to be an individual event. You know, when I take communion, all I remember is, thank you, Jesus, you died for me. And sometimes if I really broaden it, I'll say, thank you, Jesus, you died for us and you made us a community. But let me tell you, when we take communion, Jesus didn't just die for me and he didn't just die for us, he also died for them. And there is inherent in that covenant the idea that Jesus, while I give thanks that you died for me, I also remember that it wasn't just for me that you died, you also died for them and I commit myself to them. We live in an individualistic culture where it's so easy for us to get so consumed in ourselves and forget that there are people out there who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, without passion, you'll never do it. Because one of the main reasons we don't reach the unreached is this. The unreached don't live close to a Starbucks most of the time. The unreached don't live most of the time where you can going to the five-star hotel. The unreached, a lot of times, they don't live in places where it's safe to preach the gospel. The unreached live in the kinds of places that it may cost you everything to reach them. You see, we've done an incredible job in world missions in reaching our world with the gospel. But basically, what happened in our first hundred years is we reached all the reachable we reached everyone who wanted to be reached. Now we've got to reach the rest of them. We reached everybody that was excited. Now we've got to reach the Muslims. Now we've got to reach the Hindus. Now we've got to reach the Buddhists. Now we've got to reach people who are entrenched and they are difficult. You know, we would say today, no, we can't go to Afghanistan. Don't you know they kill people in Afghanistan? What do you mean? go to Syria and preach the gospel. We can't go to Syria and preach the gospel. But you know they're killing people over there. What do you mean walk for two weeks through the hills just to get to one village? Can't do that. It's too much. Aren't you glad that people like the Apostle Paul in the early church didn't think like that? There was a time that The Apostle Paul, it says literally, the Spirit of God told him, you're going to go to Jerusalem and chains, afflictions are waiting for you there. You know Paul's response? None of that moves me. Because I don't think of my life as something dear to myself. My goal is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are here today because of men who had that passion. If those 12 men would have thought like we think, If those 12 men would have said, you know what, they may kill us, better for us to stay home and to be quiet and to raise our families and to work our jobs and to take care of ourselves. If the early 12 apostles would have believed like that, none of us would be here today. But we are here today because those men raised up with a passion and said, somebody needs to go to Europe and preach the gospel. Somebody needs to go into Africa and preach the gospel. Somebody needs to go to India and to the Silk Road and preach the gospel. And out of the 12 apostles, 10 of them died martyrs' deaths preaching the gospel in lands that were not their own. And that's why we're here today. Because of men who had a passion to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? I want to tell you it 's tough. You know the last few days i 've been working through it my uh, my family we've we 've had challenges my uh, My youngest son was born without a kidney. My second son has autism on top of that he has muscular dystrophy. I just got a call uh, three days ago that uh, My son, because of his muscular dystrophy, he falls a lot. He fell down and he shattered two of the vertebrae in his back. He's on complete bed rest and uh, they're deciding now whether he's going to have to have surgery. So three days ago, I talked to my wife and I said, honey, do you you need me to come home? She said, no, I'll take care of it. I know there's work to be done. You see, the gospel's not preached because it's not convenient. It's not comfortable. It's not safe. I, I, I love when people say these words, the safest place in all the world is in the center of God's will. Tell that to Jesus when he was dying on the cross. Tell that to Paul as he was being killed, to Peter as he was being crucified upside down. It's not a safe place following Jesus. It's the most dangerous place you can ever walk. But I can promise you there's no place in this world like walking with Jesus. We've walked through trials. I've been arrested, locked up in a little metal box, interrogated for weeks on end. We've been through challenges. But nothing compares to what Jesus did to give me life. Nothing compares. That all of these light afflictions, all of these things that are happened, are nothing compared to the glory that God has prepared us for. Doesn't compare. Years ago, I was I was going up to this village, and I was gonna walk, it was gonna take me seven days. We saw it on the map, it's gonna take me seven days to get to this village. And I just got a brand new pair of boots, and I've never been accused of being the smartest man in the world, so uh, a few too many years of drug addiction, and so, so I put those new boots on and started walking. After two days, uh, take my boots off, and uh, my toes are gone. I had lost two toenails, my feet are bleeding, they're swollen, and, uh, you know, we had gone, we'd started and walked over this 18,000 foot pass through the mountains and the snow to get to this valley off on the other side, and I'm just done and so I, I, just, I just decided, I told the guys, man, I cannot go any farther. I've done two days. We still have five more days, and then we got seven days back, and my feet are gone. I just can't do it. And I went to sleep that night and woke up the next morning, and, man, my feet are swollen. And so now I thought, man, I need to pray, and I need to ask God to give me some strength, you know. And how many of you have ever done a Bible flip? And you're just hoping for something good? You know, I'm just glad Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. <laughs> you know, Lord is my shepherd. Oh, thank you, Lord. I needed that one. So I tried to do a Bible flip. And I don't want you to think I fully lost my mind, but I flipped my Bible open. And in that moment, this has never happened before that time, never happened since that time, but I heard the voice of the Lord. And it sounded like a thundercloud went off in my mind. And I heard the Lord speak to me, Who is your Lord? Just like that with authority. It just scared me. And I shut my Bible, and I thought, man, that was weird. Then I heard it again, same thing, who is your Lord? And I, I thought for a minute, and I said, God, I'm pretty sure you are. And I'm pretty sure I'm here for you. And then I heard the voice of the Spirit, and this is how I usually hear God, just still, still small voice. And I heard the Spirit say to me, are you going to serve me, or are you going to serve your feet? Who are you going to serve? So, got up, put my shoes back on, told the guys, we're not going home. We're getting to that village. Started walking. Five days later, we finally end up in this village. We haven't had anything to eat but dry ramen noodles for seven days. I haven't had a bath in seven days. The rivers are frozen. We're walking through snow. We are dirty. We are nasty. It gives new meaning to how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the good news. (laughs) I had ugly feet. (laughs) And I walk into this village and this old lady comes up to me out of the village and she's just smiling and she looks at me and she said, where'd you come from? Nobody ever comes to our village. Why are you in our village? And I looked at her and I said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and I'm here to tell you about the God who can change your life. And she looked at me a minute and she looked up and down and she said, well, I don't know who Jesus is, but you look like you need a bath and something to eat. Why don't you come to my house? And I just forgot all about Jesus. I said, I'd be wonderful. I'd love to. So we're sitting around the house and I share the gospel with her and I, I share what God can do in her life. And as we're sharing, she just starts to weep. And she said, my sister's dying. She said, can your God do something about it? My sister's dying. They care. The men of the village carried her all the way to the city and they just came back yesterday with my sister. They said she has cancer. There's no hope. She's going to die. Can you do something about my sister? And that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> And I was just about to pray, and I had two young girls that were with me. I had a group that was with me, two young girls who just come to the Lord two weeks earlier. And I just felt led, and I said, I tell you what, I'm going to send these two girls to pray with your sister because they know Jesus, and Jesus hears all of us when we pray. I don't want you to think I'm special. It's just Jesus who's special, and they're going to go and pray. So they take off with her, and they pray for this lady. And we start praying because, man, this is it. This could be the turning point in this village. And we start praying together. About an hour later, they came back. And I don't know if you've ever had that sense, man, something great happened. Something something great is happening. And they came back. And and when they came back, she walked through the door. I jumped up. I said, what happened? She said, oh, nothing happened. They jumped around. They shouted. They danced. Nothing happened. Sorry. So, gave us some food. slept on the floor that night. Got up the next morning, there's about ten houses in this little village. We're right on the border of Tibet and India. Ten little houses. And so, so I told the guys, let's just go house to house and let's pray for everybody in the village. And we start walking out in the village. And I look over in the corner, and, and on the Tibetan plateau, it's so cold. People climb up on their roofs at night, on, in the morning, to get in the sun. And I look up, and there's this lady, and she climbs up on her rooftop. Only this lady, when she gets to the rooftop, she starts shouting, I'm healed! I'm healed! I'm healed! (laughs) And everybody in the village just starts running to the house. She comes down off the roof and she sits them down and she has this lady sitting next to her praying. She said, last night, the God of these people walked into my house and he reached down his hand and he picked me up. And she turned to this girl. She got down on her knees and turned to this girl. She started crying. She said, please forgive me. I don't remember what his name is. But if you will tell me his name, I will never worship another God. And I stepped outside of that house and I just thought, man, Jesus, this is it. People who had never heard your name have now heard your name and they're calling on your name. This is why you saved me. This is why you changed me. And I'll never forget that moment. The Spirit of God spoke to me again. And the Spirit of God said to me in that moment, this woman almost missed out on eternity. Because you were worried about your feet. She almost missed it. There are people around the world today who have never heard the name of Jesus. What's your excuse? What's keeping us from preaching the gospel? Is it a new house that we want? Is it a new car that we want? Is it a job raise that we want? Is it family? What's keeping us, church? We need to ask the Lord today, give us a passion to preach your gospel. Give us a passion for apostolic function, no matter what it costs us. Father, I pray for your people today, that you would pour out your spirit, that you would give them a passion, Lord God, to reach their world, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: So the question today is this, where's your passion at? And what move are you going to make today? In a moment, our worship teams are going to come and they're going to be leading us in a time that we just call around new life our response time. It's our time to respond to God. It's our moment to come to him and say, God, I put put my feet before you. I've put this thing before you. I've put this desire, this need before you. I'm laying it down. Or it could just be simply this, God, I, I've been wanting to pursue you, but today there's something inside of me that just challenges me to give more than I've ever given before of myself. Because do you, do you, you realize, right, I mean, God can only use what you surrender to him. The more you surrender to him, the more he has of you to use. And today the challenge is increase passion. Passion is increased today as we surrender to God. Please know this: whether you're in North Platte, the venue, or you're in here, the altars of this uh, in our and all of our auditoriums are for the hungry. I want to challenge you today. Use these altars. Come, kneel down, cry out to God. God, fill me with passion. The passion that's in God's heart may it fill our hearts. That our hearts would burn for the lost. That our hearts would burn to reach one more person for Jesus. You, like it or not, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are a missionary for him right where you live. Now, now we need to be empowered by his spirit to accomplish that mission in a greater way than ever before. Why don't you stand with me? Let's wrap up our service. Let's wrap it up in prayer. And then let's respond to God. So Lord... Here we are. We are challenged today by the power of your word spoken. We're challenged today by the power of your spirit that is it's pulling on the inside of our hearts. We don't want this to be just another good message that we heard. We don't want it just to be about a story that we go back to our, 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 our families at lunch and we talk about what the missionary said. God, we want to go back to our families at lunch and we want to talk about what you said to us. We want to go back to our workplaces and start telling people in a greater way about what you are doing in us and about how amazing you are and point people back to Jesus. Not point people back to a new life church, a building built out of block and mortar. Not point people back to a pastor or point people back to a missionary. We want to point people back to you, Jesus. So Lord, here we are. We stop everything that we're doing Gonna focus our full attention on you, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill our hearts with a passion that beats for the lost. Fill our eyes with a vision of those who are living in this world today that are without Jesus. Fill our ears with the sound of heaven, the sound of your voice calling people and saying, "Come to me, all who are thirsty, come." All who are hungry, come. Those who are burdened by life, come. May our ears be filled. Filled with the voice, the grace of God. May our hearts be stirred with your heart. May our eyes be forever envisioned with the lost coming to Jesus. May we see ourselves caught right up in the middle of that mission, giving all that we have, so that the kingdom might advance while we have breath. So Lord, lead and guide us over these next moments that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen.